For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're here to talk about the offense from the Cardinals game. Lots to say, some extreme performances, that's for sure. Uh, starting, of course, with Isaiah Likely and the big night he had. But here to join me to talk about it is Jordan Coe, Jordan of the Ravens Situation Room. Jordan, how you doing? Good, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Always happy to be here. Always a pleasure, my friend, and uh, uh, great to see you again. And and I uh, hope you're doing all well in, in all your pursuits in life. I know you're a very busy man uh, to try and schedule for this show. Yeah, I, I got to try and do a few less things, I think, especially once the season r- ramps up. I'm, I'm going to want to spend some more time on the Ravens. There you go. Okay. At least have your priorities straight. That's good. <laughs> Less work, more Ravens, right? That's right. Uh, so much to talk about from this game. Obviously, you know, they, they they won number 22 in a row. There were some things both sides were kind of trying to give the game away. It was interesting. The Cardinals, you know, sat on their timeouts at the end of the game, I thought. And as, uh, you know, it ended, obviously, they were you know, thumbing their nose a little bit at the Ravens' win streak with, with, with regard to that. But the big news by far, uh, what Isaiah likely did, uh, Great night, obviously one of the greatest nights ever for a receiver, probably the greatest in Ravens history, uh, ever in a in a single preseason game. Uh, and the number of snaps that he did it on, I yep. think, is the most impressive part. And it seemed like, and every time he caught the ball, you were like, "Why do they still have him in there?" And you yeah. realize that they barely had him in there um, to begin with. So, I, I mean, excited. It's hard not to see a guy like Likely have success and be and not be excited by kind of what the opportunity is for the Ravens because 
the dimensional advantage of the two tight ends being as effective as these two could be. And Hayden Hurst was never terribly effective. The upside of what likely and Andrews might be able to do together is, is tantalizing. Yeah, very, very much. So I think that, uh, you know, it's not going to be a problem to have them both on the field at the same time. It's one of the issues that came out of this game. I think that, you know, you, you lined up likely all over the place in this game wide as a receiver. You know, they left him alone on the left side. It's actually a Z receiver over there. The inline tight end was on that side on a, on a play. He, he was over there, but uh, you know, they're, they're comfortable flexing him out uh, and, and having him in line on a couple plays in this game. It wasn't much for that, uh, but there's only 15 total snaps. Uh, it was only 13 pass plays. He caught eight of those uh, and, and, 12 times he was in the pattern. So it was 8.33 yards per route run, which is just ridiculous. And so those are, those are staggering numbers, but, and, and what's really interesting about it is how much trust that it was uh, that Huntley, obviously, excuse me, already had in likely. And you've got to believe that the, the return on investment of, you know, if Huntley feels that way, you've got to feel like Lamar probably feels similarly that what likely has done in practice and training camps has translated to that. And so, I think a lot of the big concerns were that Andrews has always been the lock on guy for Lamar early on in downs or progressions or reads. I mean, if Andrews gets to be the second or third guy through a set of projections for Lamar, the, the effectiveness of that is just astounding. Yeah. Well, watch out. I mean, he did, you know, the one thing about the Andrews Lamar connection last year was Lamar threw nine of his interceptions throwing for Andrews, including all four of that one in the game against Cleveland. So we want to see a reduction in that. Um, and and uh, and having other targets is is probably the best way to go. No substitute for Mark Andrews, but but you know having uh, likely and Bateman be guys he normally just throws a contested ball to is is also a good thing. Uh, I have a a detailed breakdown of every single target in the offensive article that'll be coming out later tonight. Uh, so I hope people will go over to the website and and take a look at that. Um, but I did have a few thoughts on you know just putting the plays together and the first was i really liked this is a good game to have greg olson doing the commentary and otherwise i could do it without a lot of his act as a color guy you know i just he's very he, he talks about himself a lot it's just you know it's 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 very much about you know i was never called for a penalty and you know that, that was correct and this and that but his endorsement in this game was was really meaningful and i like the reasoning even better is that likely was extremely effective sitting down in zones and and finding space and staying there, making himself available to the quarterback. And and on five of the eight catches he had, he actually stopped, turned, made himself available, and uh, Huntley hit him on the spot. And that included a, a just a very first play, a first down play for five yards, but it also included an unbelievable play of taking advantage of the level two, level three relationship that I want to talk about. But Olsen's commentary, any other comments on that? I, I'm a fan of Olsen. You know, I, you know what the problem is, is that there are way too many terrible announcers calling NFL games, yeah. and Olsen is actually competent and uh, and does good breakdowns. I think I think the shtick of kind of what you were talking about, I could definitely see how that bothers you, but um, I think Olsen's one of the better guys, and I'm still stunned that they can't get better guys in the booth for some of these games. If, like, I... I and we're going to hear him this year. And like, I don't think like, Ian Eagle, for example, is just a giant nothing burger of an announcer. And like, if I, like if they left, took his part and inserted silence, I don't think that I would have any <laughs> objection for that. Right. And, and, and so, you know, it's nice to have guys with all like Olsen that I, I, I think are a little fun. 
<laughs> okay, so I, I, we're talking apples and oranges when we're talking about Iron Eagle because Iron Eagle's an announcer, and and uh, and uh, Olson's of course a color guy. But with the with the uh, um, uh, Iron Eagle and Kevin Harlan are two of the announcers I actually like because they did a good job of announcing the number of defensive backs on the field. They're actually, you know, talking about certain things. And, and I, I, Harlan also typically, you know, wants to talk about a block on a play, which is good. Uh, I, I like that from, from announcers. So I want to see people who clearly have a greater understanding of football. Kevin O'Harlan apparently has some astounding knowledge of football trivia as well that is that is uh, uh, historic in nature but the James Brown would you know often go back to him and say you know the the repository of all football knowledge and things they would, they would call him on or certain things but my guy in the a- AFC and we're lucky to have him uh, you know relative to Olsen is is Tony Romo I think he does I I don't mind you know kind of the some of the sophomoric banter I really like the fact that he kind of takes over the game as a play-by-play announcer when he wants to and 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 talks as if he's the quarterback on the field. I really I really enjoy that. Yeah, I, Romo is one of those really interesting. Like the enthusiasm and the passion is a lot of fun. Um, the my problem with Romo is he's wrong a lot. <laughs> so like he'll be like, oh, we're gonna like the two guys will like line up in the a gaps. He's like, we're gonna see an a gap a gap blitz, and then they drop out, right? Yeah. And that's part of what you were talking about, where he like you know he's calling it like what he thought he would be seeing um, when he was quarterback, but like. I don't know. I think I think Romo gets it wrong a few too many times for my taste. But I guess this goes to show you that everybody's got their Different their taste. own taste and announcers. And um, but I, I agree with you that Olsen endorsing likely is is a significant one. And Olsen seemed to have a better a better read on the Ravens or at least some of the players of the Ravens than a lot of the rest of the cast on Fox that night. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, it was it was a little weird. The, you know, it's an NFC crew obviously calling the game so that right there you, you, you're at a little disadvantage that these crews didn't see him a whole lot last year. Um, the, the, the sideline reporter to me was a guy who I don't know how he's got a job. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, he's, uh, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't be my pick. Anyway, let's, let's get back to the Ravens here. I, Isaiah likely the, the ultimate fine zone in space, uh, fine space in zone play was Q2 634. It's the one where he, um, st- dropped right behind the second level defenders and maybe six to eight yards in front of the level three defenders. And my immediate thought is that's two linebackers, one inside, one outside. Neither of those guys really understands what's going on behind them. And he's, he's exactly figured out how to exploit that. And it's, that's more important than any kind of equidistance that I think tight ends normally might, might fall into where they find space by being equidistant from multiple defenders. You really want to be as close as possible to the front side defenders a lot of the time because they often don't know what's going on. But even if they do, um, you, know, you, you might have to contest them for the football um, and rather than get your quarterback to make a loopy throw or whatever, you, you, you have an opportunity to be uh, in position for that. But that was just great spacing on that play. Uh, I have to figure out what that went for there. That's Q2634 went for 11 plus three. So it wasn't a big gain after the catch. One of them was one of his bigger ones. But I just thought that's the way our linebackers get exploited. I'm glad to see it happening to somebody else. Well, and what I what what stood out to me about that play in particular when I rewatched it was actually if you watch the running back in the flat. So like you've got a wide receiver running at least a deep route up the sideline, the, the running back in the flat, but the attention that likely was going to draw. And then in the future, we'll probably draw in addition to that. 
he was going to be wide open. There, there was an even bigger game behind that, right? And so to me, it's not just about what likely is doing. Obviously, the outcome of the play, his ability to sit in those zones, his ability to demand attention from that is going to require teams to adjust that. How that allows the rest of the scheme to let other guys get open and allow them to do other things to non-primary guys, I think, is a big part of what the value of that's going to be as the year plays its way out. Yeah, absolutely. This this offense really needs um, gravitational receivers, whether tight ends or wide receivers, and and they're going to need to have to try and figure out how to take levels off the defense. Uh, whether that means a speed guy, you know, taking the top off, or whether that means a tight end pulling uh, pulling the safety in his direction. I uh, it was it was a um, was that Hill in the game, by the way, on that play, or was it Davis? Do you remember the? the uh, you know what? I don't remember. Okay. I'd be I'd be interested to know because Hill certainly I want to see him get a deep shot. I Davis I don't, he, it won't happen in a regular game, so I don't really care. But but Hill, you know, being the 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 player he is and showing some chops as a pass blocker, uh, you know, I, I'd certainly like to see him uh, uh, see him get a chance on a deep play. Uh, all, almost all the throws to likely in this game shorties. Uh, he only had two throws that were more than five yards from the line of scrimmage, and those were eight and eleven. Uh, so the real the real long one was that one we just talked about between level two and level three. Fifty four of a hundred receiving yards were yak. So uh, he he he's forced nine missed tackles according to PFF in twelve receptions this preseason. So that is remarkable for a receiver. Yeah, it, it's you know the only thing that concerns me about that is if if we remember back to. Uh, Justice Hill in his rookie year had like 17 broken tackles or missed tackles or whatever the number was. And we thought that that was going to translate. You do have to be a little careful sometimes that some of these guys that likely was juking out of their pads are probably not NFL caliber players when, when it yeah. all comes down to it all said and done. Well, that's, that's fair. Obviously I, I agree. I also think that um, we've just kind of seen the tip of the iceberg with, with uh, likely here. He's a, um, he's a talent and he has talent to get open in different parts of the field than what we've seen so far. Uh, I think he, he has the, the, uh, he definitely could run him down the field on some plays and see what he could do. But with the scheme they had ball was out quickly all night. And, and I'm not saying Tyler Huntley didn't do some positive things. He did. He, I mean, he had a great game. Uh, he did some good escaping of pockets, which was breaking down on the left side, particularly with Jawan James and he did a good job of of getting out of trouble and making off schedule throws that I thought was positive. But he didn't make a bunch of long throws, and most of the throws were schemed to be out quickly, much as they were at the end of last year when the Ravens' offense very frustrating. Uh, a lot, of, you know, people point back to 2019 for Lamar and say, "Well, you know, threw the ball in the middle of the field." Well, Lamar Jackson, you know, retains the football like nobody's business. And, you know, he's looking for either an optimal run opportunity for himself or an optimal pass. And he'll hold the ball much longer than Tyler Huntley to do it. Has incredible pocket awareness to 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 get that done. And um, we just didn't we didn't see all of what Isaiah likely could do in terms of his route tree in this game. Yeah, well, and one of the knocks great on him coming out of college was that he didn't have a terribly developed route tree. So mm -hmm. it'll be interesting to see how they deploy. But I mean, Mark Andrews can live outside the hashes on deep crossers and out routes, you know, from in line and and from the slot um, 15 plus yards down the field. And Lamar has faith and trust in him. And if likely can continue to command this kind of like underneath attention, whether it is in man or zone um, and be able to do that, then I think that you will see kind of the average distance of Mark Andrews routes and catches go up pretty significantly this year. 
Yeah, it'll be good. I want to see, you know, what uh, Keith, I always have to get this right. It's not Keith Washington, it's Keith Williams, the receiving coach, can do with each of them in terms of getting them to stick. Because they're going to have some chances to get to the top of the route, each of them, uh, this year. I don't think that you can go all out rushing Lamar. You never really could. And, uh, you know, there'll be some there'll be some chances and all, you know, obviously the Bateman is the really good route runner of the three. Uh, Andrews and 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 uh, Lamar have the connection and likely, you know, should build trust and obviously has very good hands. So I, I, I'm, I'm likely to see that. I hope we see not a ton. I hope we see fewer contested catches for all of them this year is what I really hope. Yeah, well, we'd love to see more schemed open receivers in this Ravens offense. I think everybody would be happy with that. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Let's see. Anything else I need to say about this? I I think that's pretty much it for likely. Anything else you want to talk about? No, I just, just, you know, it's very rare that you see these guys translate from the practice field to even a preseason game, right? So, like, like Shamar Bridges last week was the talk of the town, right? you know, nothing in, in preseason week two, right? It's very rare that you you have the guy that is putting the performance on the field in practice, getting the reports out of training camp, then puts it up in a preseason game and then does it again. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that I think we've got the combination of those three things says to me that likely is very, is legitimate to make, be a really big impact on what he can do within this offense because, because of the consistency and ability to do it at all three levels like that. Yeah, I, I think I think you're, I agree with that. That's a that's a real good point too. And you know, this is this is the year, if ever there was one for wide receiver darlings in this camp, because the Ravens are so short-handed. Uh, and you know, we've we've had a few. <laughs> none none of them have proven really much in terms of separation, uh, Polk or Bridges or any of those guys. I mean, they've, they've got good hands. They seem to be getting able to get open late, particularly in Polk's case. Uh, I like I like that. Um, you know, Webb might be the most impressive pure route runner of the group in terms of what he did in the second game. Uh, it's just, it, it's just nobody really seems like the complete package the way that likely is. And likely's after the catch ability of stiff arm. I guess I didn't mention that, that the, the, that's just really great to see. You, you do not get that. And when you get it, you usually get it out of much bigger tight ends, like a, like a McDonald or a, or a, you know, some of the guys that they just, are always harping on the guy's ability to stiff arm and whatnot. I mean, likely is frankly a smaller tight end. And, uh, you know, he still is able to to make those uh, uh, Cardinals secondary members look like little boys, frankly, trying to tackle daddy. Yeah, the phys- physicality is great. And it, it's going to be exciting to see Ravens two tight end sets this year. Three tight end sets. <laughs> you yeah, they probably will see a lot of three tight ends because I think we're going to see likely positioned as a receiver, aligned as a receiver. And I think we'll see a lot more 13 than we did even in 2019 just because of that. All right, let's move on. Uh, kind of mix it up a little bit here because Huntley's big game is, is obviously tied to it. And both Brown and Huntley played well. If you look at the leaders right now in the NFL Huntley is fifth in passer rating of QBs with 20-plus attempts. And, of course, we're talking 20-plus attempts. We're not even really talking about a full game necessarily of attempts yet. Uh, Some games it would be enough. He's got a 118.5 passer rating. Anthony Brown is 11th at 101.5. First of all, the the 118.5 is very good, but it's not such a historical aberration from 100 that you or from from a, a normal QB rating, which is probably close to 100 now, that that you would say, 
Um, that's a that's a that's a historic game, and that's a great game. It's a it's a good game now in the NFL is one eighteen point five, and for a guy who's been twenty nine of thirty two in terms of completions, it ain't that good in terms of of the results, and and that's in part a function of the the, the distance per throw. Yeah, I, I I think that some of the uh, well. Let me let me separate it out between the last this preseason game and the one prior, which is that I thought that Huntley was bailing out of the pocket way too early in the last game um, and was was not kind of reading the field and making as strong a reads in the first mm-hmm. game. I think and, and he was just taking the, the easier throws. There were a couple contested throws, but he was taking what was easy and he was kind of running away from any pressure and, and kind of was scared of pressure or whatever that looked like. I think it was just, you know, getting the back into the flow of football. Right. Um, I thought he did a much better job of commanding the pocket in this, this next game. I thought the Ravens just completely gutted deeper routes <laughs> and route combinations from wide receivers. So there just weren't a lot of opportunities, but he wasn't, made some, wasn't in their plan to do right. any of that. Yeah, exactly. But he made some, I thought some really strong anticipation throws. So like, if you looked at the touchdown pass to likely, that was a really, like that was a really strong read and a really good throw from Huntley. Um, so I don't, wouldn't want to take that away from him because the scheme potentially limited in that, him in that all that being said, the Ravens seem content in limiting Tyler Huntley's scheme, no matter what. And that was even during regular NFL must win games last year yep. where they were still kind of taking that away from him. And so as a Ravens fan, I would love, you know, if, if his value is high, his value is high. That's great for us. But it makes me question something about what's going on with Tyler Huntley that the Ravens don't seem to be willing to kind of roll out a broader scale approach to whatever they're giving him. I, 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 yeah, I agree it was a problem last year. And I think the issue was his own pocket awareness was really low, that he would try and reverse in the pocket and do things. And he was taking a lot of sacks because of it. They weren't the good quote unquote, Lamar Sachs, where he's really gambling on getting a positive run on the play. So he could throw the ball away. Any quarterback can throw the ball away. Lamar can too. But Lamar has has some range of outcomes from minus three to plus 25 yards. And he's saying, I'm betting on myself running most of the time. And he's taking a few more sacks. No problem with that. I think it's a, it's a good gamble. And I think over the course of his career, we're probably going to see Lamar take more sacks. And I don't think those sacks are high risk plays in terms of taking a big hit that's going to end his career or, or knock him out for a season. Not those sacks. The, 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 the really risky plays for Lamar are when he gets hit in the pocket as he's throwing. Those are the, those are the QHs in particular are, are, are very dangerous. A lot of the sacks, as long as he's bringing the ball down, as long as he, you know, Lamar knows how to be tackled like any quarterback, very better than most quarterbacks. Let's put it that way. I, with regard to, to, to Huntley, though, Huntley, you're three guy, and I think you kind of alluded to the start of this. With, uh, and Anthony Brown, who's got a 101.5 rating, 11th in the NFL this preseason, same uh, you know uh, qualification requirement of 20-plus attempts. Um, he's, he's a year one player. He's a rookie. So you gain two additional years of team control if you decided you could live with him as the backup. I don't think you're going to have an opportunity to trade a player like Huntley at a higher value than he has right now. And I look back to Terod Taylor and when he left the Ravens after four years, um, you know, probably you just end up getting nothing for him. You either get very little for him maybe a year from now or you get nothing for him two years from now. Well, or you get a compact kind of 
three yeah, three years true. down for whatever that looks like. And and if and if even a team signing him to be a backup quarterback is likely going to equal some kind of comp pick these days because the the money's ridiculous. But you know, even under the condition where let's say they get nothing, right? I think. I don't necessarily, I think that I agree with you as to where his value is and it might be at his peak right now. Um, but I think that there's a, also a possibility that he has the exact same value at the end of next preseason or in the middle of this year at the trade deadline. I think he actually has more value to the rate, right? The, the uh, ability to be insurance through the duration of this season, if you think that this is a meaningful Super Bowl contender, right? So like you take, even if you took last year's team, right, and let's say you you kept Stanley around for the whole year, or Dobbins, or pick one, mm-hmm. pick pick one of the guys that was hurt yeah. for the whole year, and you keep them, right? Peters, Dobbins, Stanley. Like it's likely that the Ravens were a playoff team, and Huntley would have been a part of at least keeping them afloat during that. Like if they would have won one of those games that he lost, mm-hmm. keeping them afloat, getting them into the playoffs, and getting them back into Lamar's hands. I was even with all the injuries, relatively confident that the Ravens were capable of winning one or more playoff games last year if Lamar was going to be able to come back and play for that team. So if Huntley is the, I don't think a second round pick, even if that's what you could get for him, and I I don't know that you would get that much for him, but even if that's what you were going to get, I don't know that that's worth the insurance of even one win on the season's books for you know what could be a competitive AFC North and a competitive crack to get into the playoffs. I would much rather roll the dice and say, Hey, let's do everything we can to make sure that Lamar is healthy and able to play when we get there. Um, Lamar could miss a game. Lamar also is a guy that the Ravens have historically taken out of games, et cetera. Like Mm -hmm. I I just, I think that insurance is worth more than that pick right now, or more than the difference of what that pick will be worth at the end of the season. Okay. It's your, 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 Reasoning is very good. So I like the way that you did it in, in terms of that. And the comp pick is something actually I had kind of left out of my thought here because I, I, I was trying to answer that same question, which is what's the, what's the value that's too much for the Ravens to pass up? And part of my, my thinking here is one thing you didn't mention is that Anthony Brown, if the Ravens don't make him the backup quarterback now, the Ravens probably will lose him. Or, or at least there's a good chance to lose him by the end of the season, that some other team is going to bring him in. He's going to be one of the quarterbacks who's been successful as a rookie. Uh, and some of the team possibly who has an offense that looks similar to the Ravens, and there's more and more of these mobile quarterbacks around. So maybe it's Philadelphia, maybe it's somewhere else. Uh, they decide, yeah, um, we'd like him as a backup. And maybe we'll even keep three quarterbacks to keep a developmental guy like him if they like him enough. Uh, the Ravens are only going to keep two quarterbacks. I think we, we're, we're both very sure about that. Um, and, and I then I look at it and I say, how much difference is there really between Huntley and Brown? And I probably see less difference than you do there. So I, I, I say, OK, yeah, he's 90 percent of what Huntley is. We haven't really seen, you know, Huntley's been very limited in terms of what he's done in, in actual gameplay, in terms of what the offense they had to scheme for him last year. We already talked about. I think Brown can give you that. Brown was the one making the deep throws in this game. You know, Brown made that beautiful throw to Webb. Uh, down the what left seam uh, for, for for the touchdown, uh, I just I just I don't see a huge difference between them. And the big difference I do see is the three versus one in the years of experience column, which is going to give me four cheap years of Brown. Uh, so that's that's my thinking. And then I didn't take into account the the compensatory pick because that's that would be significant. It potentially would be maybe a fourth round pick if they uh, if if he gets you know decent but not out, outrageous quarterback money. Uh, and, and what I would say about that is that um, I think the pick that would be too good for me to pass up is somewhere between 70 to 90 in total JJ value. 
So you think about the guys the Ravens have drafted between 70 and 90 since 2018. And I, this is an all-inclusive list. Orlando Brown, Mark Andrews, Jalen Ferguson, Justin Matabike, and Travis Jones. And if you get a player like that for taking a downgrade from Huntley to Brown as quarterback, I just think you go ahead and do that. You also, you know, have the other residual gain of two more years. Yeah, I guess, you know, I the only thing is that I you trust what the, the Ravens are seeing in practice from Brown. Mm-hmm. I think that you have to, you know, you have to discount the the quality. I, I mean, it's so hard to evaluate these third string guys, right, when they're in these preseason games. Because yes, the value of your blockers aren't as good, but the value of the pass rush isn't as good. Like the like the scheme has been completely watered down and taken out of the game at that point, right? Um, and so it, it makes it. I don't know that I am in at the position or place that I would give any evaluation around Brown from like an actual in-game perspective. Um, and I would like to, I would, I would hope or like to think that Huntley could take on more of a role and that they're just hamstringing him right now because, because it's the preseason and they don't want to do more and they don't want to give anything away. And they're not trying to show any of that. Right. If the case is that you're holding him back because you don't think that he can handle it, then I'm absolutely trading him. And there's not a second moment's notice to that. If you think that there's a, a big gap between Huntley and Brown, um, then I think that you hold him. And and it's really up to DaCosta and, and team around how they evaluate that. But I mean, quite frankly, DaCosta loves his picks. And I think that if someone came to the Ravens and offered a really quality value trade for Huntley, He's going to give it serious consideration, probably in a way that Ozzy wouldn't have before that. Yes, I, I agree. I mean, I think I think he'll 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 be very rational about it. He'll make a decision. It'll be the kind of thing that they can put a positive spin on. Is that you know we're excited for Tyler to get this opportunity with Houston or wherever it is that that you know he's got a chance to compete for a starting role. He's clearly proven this preseason. He's at that level, which is why Houston came to us with this second round pick. Uh, yeah, I, I love the love the, the the banter that could go around that. I don't think it's a, it's a tough sell at all. But uh, uh, you know, he's. I just don't think he's special enough based on what we saw last year. Even factoring in what we've seen in the preseason with similar scheme, that uh, I, I'm he's untouchable in, in, in any sense. So I think you know, I, I I do look at this year and say we don't want to be without Lamar, and we want to make sure that if we are for a short period of time that that uh, the Ravens are okay. But the fact of the matter is, if Lamar misses six games, the Ravens are probably out of the playoffs. If Lamar misses two to four games, okay, they still got a chance to be in, um, but he can't actually miss the playoffs themselves or it's not worth it. So so it's it's kind of a lot of it will be a timing of injury thing if Lamar did happen to go down and miss some time. And, um, you know, it's, just, it's, it's, it's less likely that you're going to hit the exact sweet spot of he's back in time for the playoffs. Uh, with your backup quarterback still helping you limp there. Well, I think there's also a question. Sorry, I've got a siren right behind me. (laughs) You know, I think you've got a question around whether or not Huntley actually loses that much value over the course of the season. I I don't know that, like, let's say Huntley comes in and plays two games during this year because Lamar is out for whatever reason. Or let's say the Ravens are 14-0, 15-0 going into the last two weeks, and Huntley comes in and he plays lights out for the last two weeks of the year. There's also a very real scenario where, or Huntley doesn't play at all, that somebody is looking at him as valuable at the end of the season as just as much as they are right now. So I don't know that it's a necessary given that his value is unequivocally at its peak right now. I think it's likely that it is, um, but I don't think it's a lock. Well, I mean, next year he'll have one cheap year left and then he'll have, you know, up to two franchise years if they if whoever gets him strikes gold with him. 
So if he if he ends up being, you know, everything Tyler Huntley probably hopes he could be, then it's a terrific value at the end of four years. And 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 I think that some of the, the New England quarterback trading of Garoppolo, I don't remember who else they've they've gotten rid of. Matt Castle, right, was the other one. Um, so so I think those guys were at approximately that point and and traded in the fourth year as opposed to the third. I could be wrong about that. But a lot of it's when when you find that replacement. And if, if they think Anthony Brown might be that guy, I think they ditched Brett Hundley. He had NFL experience. I mean, he, he could have been a guy they, they kept around. He's, you know, been about as successful, frankly, throwing the football. Well, not, he has not been as successful as Tyler Huntley in his NFL career. But he's but he's he's has some starts in the NFL. Uh, they ditched him. They didn't. They didn't try and retain him. They already decided that Anthony Brown was ahead of him on the totem pole. So if that's the case, then I I think you know they may believe more about him than they're letting on at this point. Unfortunate interception in the game. Obviously, one he didn't want to throw, but without that, he'd he'd be right there with uh, with Huntley in terms of QB rating and 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 what he'd look like. I, what's funny about the interception? I'll comment on the interception first, which is that that looked like Lamar has thrown that exact same interception like yes. two or three times <laughs> in his career. He did it in the Buffalo playoff game. He's done it a couple other times. So I, I thought it was kind of funny that maybe not funny, but you know, I, I thought it was like one of those instances where like they just not on the same page about kind of like it's the route comeback or is it an out or whatever. Um, it struck me in that very moment that that when that happened. I guess what I would say is if the Ravens actually thought that Brown was the guy, I think that they wouldn't be featuring him as much as they are. I think that they would be hiding him and you keep Brett Hundley and you don't let him play these snaps and you hope that you can sneak him to the practice squad and nobody's any of the wiser that he's in any existence at all and no one picks him up. Like if you're going to play that game, I would much like if you really think that he's like the next the next Huntley and he can be Tyler Huntley, not Brett Hundley. Um, yeah you think he can be Tyler Huntley I'm hiding him for as long as possible and then you know if you, you you get four weeks of like protection on the practice squad if that's what you want to do and then maybe then you're exploring the trade of Huntley I don't know I I, I think Brown played a fine game against backups but I, I it's just again I think it's too early to tell okay well maybe that is a it is a possibility that Huntley could still be traded in season uh, if the injuries pile up the optimal place for the injuries to occur to other teams quarterbacks is in camp for purposes of trading Huntley, not obviously for purposes of those teams, they'd be screwed. But but uh, it would be an I, 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 you know a there are a few NFL teams that need it, and you really need two bidders to get the to get the bidding to the proper level. And in a sense, the Ravens are the other bidder because they're saying Huntley has value to us as insurance, so we're not really concerned about your crappy little fourth round offer, um, and and we'll we'll you know consider it if you want to ratchet it up significantly. But uh, you, you know the the Anyway, the, I, I think it's a very interesting thing. And it's, some, it's something that I don't think the Ravens, I think the Ravens need to field all calls on this topic right now and just, just listen to what's out there. Yeah, and I think, and I definitely think they would. And, and I think that there's validity on both sides of this, ultimately, you know, where, wherever it comes down. All right, let's move on here because that was a lot of time on that. But we'll move on to the offensive line in this game. Some very interesting things happening uh, across the offensive line. It looks like we're seeing a lot of, of um, players held back but for starting purposes. Obviously, Moses and Zeitler have not played, probably will not play the last game. Wouldn't see any reason why they would. Uh, they're going to be stuck out there on week one. Uh, one of the interesting things is I don't think we know where Moses is going to play uh, on week one. Uh, whether it's left tackle or right tackle. 
uh, based on what we've seen out of Juwan James so far. Yeah, it's um, geez, it would have been really nice if Ronnie Stanley was to practice this week <laughs> or today. I was kind of hoping that today or yesterday we got the news that he came off the uh, physically unable to perform list. But yeah, I, 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 that's a really, I mean, it's an interesting question, and and the Ravens are very clearly trying to grind. James out, you know, and I think that for good cause, right? Like you're learning to go from the right side to the left side. You're getting your sea legs back under you after essentially not playing very much in the NFL for two years. You've got to go through this process. You got to learn the scheme. There's a lot, there's a lot to catch up on kind of, you know, when you factor in the durability there. Um, and yeah, it's, it'll be interesting. The, the initial iteration of this offensive line for the Ravens, I think is going to be potentially has some potential to be really interesting. Yeah, it's James. Uh, obviously, there's been a lot of problems. And you mentioned Huntley being a little bit nervous about things happening in the pocket. I mean, any quarterback would be with with the way James played uh, on Sunday night. Uh, what was nice about it was that Falele getting the chance on the right side uh, did a much better job in his second game in terms of maintaining distance in the pocket, maintaining space in the pocket. He was he was mirroring and walking back, and there was a lot of phantom mirroring where he wasn't really contacting the opponent. Uh, still doesn't use his hands real well, doesn't use him independently, doesn't strike first always, um, but he did a better job of maintaining position further from the quarterback's actual spot in this game, I thought. Um, and so most of that pressure was coming from the left side and from James in particular in terms of uh, uh, of what was going wrong. Uh, it's it's something that uh, I don't know if, if I, I mean, look, no one should be surprised about this. I mean, John James hasn't played in three years. You know, when he did play, he was a right tackle. He's got this you know, trivial amount of left tackle experience in his entire career. Uh, it, it shouldn't be surprising that he really isn't quick enough to, or doesn't have the feet to play left tackle now against fairly average pass rushers. I know they wanted to see if it would work out. Um, I, I'm guessing that it would probably be Moses in week one if Stanley can't go, but I guess we'll see. As long as it's not Tyree Phillips. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Phillips looked better um, in the second game uh, of, uh, I, I'm sorry, go ahead with your Tyree Phillips comments first. Uh, no, I was going to say, I, he's fine as a guard. He's just, mm-hmm. he just doesn't, he doesn't have it at tackle. There's, I think there's too much overwhelming him mentally. There's too much like speed. Like there are just too many things that have to happen for him when he's out there on an Island by himself. Um, and he's in his own head. I think we saw that with like the false starts, you know, he's just, he's, he's overthinking it. Let him stay interior. Um, and I think he, he's a starter caliber player. Um, but it, I just don't want to see him at tackle ever. Ever again, like I, I, the Ravens should just stop playing him there. <laughs> very, very bad first game at tackle, and and he was okay at guard, but I think people kind of overstated how good he was at guard in that first game. Uh, and then he had uh, three penalties in this last game, and they might have all occurred while he was still at guard. I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure. Maybe one of them was at tackle, but his actual blocking performance in this game was very good. He would have been, uh, you know, a high B. In terms of his his uh, performance, he missed. I've got it in front of me because I've got I've got the game scored here. But he missed a couple of blocks, uh, and that was about it. He did have one half pressure allowed. I know I'm not speaking into the microphone there, am I? So that's always bad when I'm leaning over to see my my sheets. He did have one um, half pressure allowed. It was uh, shared with James, uh, and it was on the third and fifteen play that they completed for 19 yards uh, when Huntley escaped the pocket left. So it was a, a, a good point. Might have gone up, or actually, I might have escaped the pocket right because I think it was the throw to Polk for eighteen plus one. So, uh, really good uh, game for him as a blocker. I, I'm actually much more positive on this game than I was on the first. Uh, but I agree with you that left guard is his better position. 
and and uh, it would make more sense for him to be there. And I think ultimately he makes more sense at right guard because he's got the length to torque a defender and open the front gate for the uh, the Ravens' right-handed run game. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 it, it'll be it'll be very interesting to see what direction though. You know, the Ravens are clearly protecting Macari as well. Um, and he certainly is a factor to be a guy that could play right tackle. Um, I don't yeah. want, particularly want to see him at left tackle either, yeah. but he's certainly a guy that could play right tackle. And so if that Moses switch happens, I do wonder if Makari, like if, if Stanley is not ready, um, you know, whether or not the Ravens give James a shot back at right tackle, what happens with that? Or if Makari, I think, I think he's probably the next guy out there. You know, McCary is a trump card for the for the Ravens. So they they have him to replace, make a one-for-one change at any one of probably four positions. You know, it's not like Falele really deserves it yet, but the improvement from week one to week two was so great in his case that I am still holding out hope that he'd be a guy at right tackle they could move to at some point this season if if they really needed to. And And in a lot of ways... I kind of hope they give him that playing time over McCary for a couple of reasons. One of them, if if they're McCary could well be the more likely mean performance in terms of what you'd expect out of that. He's more likely to give you something that's a little bit above the the um, replacement level. Um, Falele, I think, has a higher ceiling by a lot. And you know, with the improvement we've seen the first two weeks, and and also what I'd project over the course of the next three years. I, I hope he can be active and actually getting some live fire time. It would it would really benefit him. You know, one of the things with the Orioles, this and we were talking about this in our production meeting, is that Gunnar Henderson still hasn't been called up. I think it's really important that Gunnar Henderson finish the year for the Orioles because he he needs to fail forward. So if he goes through the same kind of struggles as he well might, go coming to the major leagues and and facing pitchers who have just a better, craftier idea how to deal with him. Um, you know, I want him to, to be able to make those adjustments this offseason as a major league player, as opposed to having to come back and start over next spring. And I feel the same way about Fala Lely. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I definitely see the logic there. I guess the only distinction is that if the Ravens were to lose some of these early, like if, if the injury were to happen early in the season mm-hmm. and the Ravens were to lose an early, one of these early games on the schedule, like essentially before Buffalo mm-hmm. to a team that I think that they should be beating that loss could end up, that loss could really co- end up coming to bite them. Um, and I wouldn't want to see, I wouldn't want to see ultimately that being, that being worth the trade off, like a win in a football game is worth a lot more. And the Ravens are much further ahead in their pursuit of a championship than where the Orioles are to kind of give you a complete apples to apples. Yeah. That's a, that's a very valid point. Follow Lily in this game, six missed blocks. He did allow half a pressure, uh, 0.80 on the score. So with an adjustment, he's in the B range in the middle of the B range at, at offensive tackle. So, uh, really good game from him. And, and I just, I, there are three things that we saw in that first game that were just driving me up the wall. One of them is very late out of his stance on multiple plays. In general, he was, he's just about two ticks slower than the rest of the offensive line, which is about six one hundredths of a second. But if you go down and use your, your, your DVR, you see he's out of his stance fairly late on most plays. Uh, one of the ones where he was probably half a second late out of his stance, you know, so that's 0.50 as a 0.06, so eight times as much. He still had a highlight block. So it was a run play. He got up in somebody's face and pushed him 10 yards into level two. Um, I would like to see him finish a little better, you know, be a little nastier at the end. 
And and that has some real value. Ravens have certainly seen this from other players. I think we're seeing it right now from Ben Cleveland, which we'll talk about in a minute. But um, if if you finish your blocks, if you block people 10 yards, block the echo with a whistle, knock the guy down on a regular basis, your opponent gets upset. They also get tired. It's a really, that's both things are really good. Tired makes you less effective. Upset probably also makes you less effective because you do some rash things, but it also can sometimes draw penalties, which is really nice. So you, you want to have that if possible. You want to be leaning on your opponent uh, just for that purpose, if none other. Yeah, and, and you see like a guy like Ryan Jensen, you know, yes. being the same, you know, he takes it to the extreme. But like you want, you, you know, you want those kind of things from uh, from your offensive linemen and, and you want to see him be able to get in there. So, um, you know, I, it, it's tackle is going to be really interesting again for the Ravens. I mean, and, and in a better way than it has been the last couple of years, um, you know, there's more depth, there are more choices. It doesn't feel as desperate, like, like it, at least, you know, and, and especially with the villain, a switch to left tackle last year, mm-hmm. it was like, no one thought that was going to work to begin with. He never <laughs> saw, you know, he didn't see a lot of those reps, you know, even, even in training camp, like it was just, it, it, it felt like it was going to be a failure from the start all the way through the finish. Um, so you're hopeful that Moses can perform better, but geez, it would be really nice to have some stability and, and get Stanley back in time for week one. Yeah, that would, it would it would just be enormous. The offensive line looks like a monster. And, and on the interior, the backups are good. I mean, McCary, I, I don't have any real fear that he's going to suck at center while Linderbaum's out. In fact, you know, I have I have some uh, um reservations about Linderbaum's ability. I think I think the good thing about Linderbaum is he's not like the other elephants on the line. And so he could probably really help by being different, you know, in terms of combination blocks. Uh, it, the fact that he's a little smaller, whether he's taking the back end or the front end of a combination block, whether he's, whether he's climbing or not, he ought to have a, a better chance to engage and resolve that block quickly when he's got bigger players playing next to him, like Phillips and Cleveland and Zeitler, um, you know, whoever it might be. Uh, I, I really like the situation at left guard in a way because I think the Ravens have three guys who can who can play there. Powers is graded reasonably well by my system. Uh, Phillips is a guy who um, I probably like the least of the three, but I still think he's he's a, a quality a, a guy and definitely a quality backup. You know, you don't you don't get backups at his quality very often. And Cleveland just had a marvelous game. In this last game, and I, I don't, I don't think, I think it went kind of unnoticed, um, just how good that was. Maybe give your thoughts on Cleveland first, if you want, and I'll, I'll then. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, you know, you want to qualify him as unnoticed. I would say that I'm in that, <laughs> in that grouping, you know. And, and sometimes the second half of these preseason games can be really just brutal to watch mm-hmm. because the scheme is just stripped out of the game. Um, you know, that being said, I, I think the depth that they have. And I think Cleveland falls almost more in that upside has to fail forward opportunity um, than Falele in the sense that he's closer to being ready. He's got a season under his belt. There are things that he, he's had, he's been able to be coached in all, in all of those regards. It seems like he needs to mature a little bit in kind of his approach. We saw that with his inability to pass the conditioning test in a timely fashion. It's okay to fail at once. It's not okay to not fail <laughs> to fail it four times. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but if he's able to take that step forward and be that guy and you see the upside in that I'm, I'm okay at least to start the season to say that we're not seeing enough upside from either powers or Phillips. So we think the upside of what we get with Cleveland is worth rolling the dice on. Yeah. And I think, I think there's still a chance that could happen. Although you know, Harbaugh has a 
way of holding conditioning grudges and work ethic grudges and others that seems to be fairly persistent. So I, I think what Cleveland's going to do is going to need to earn the trust of the coaches. And he probably needs to earn the trust of Greg Roman most of all, because Greg Roman needs to go to Harbaugh and say, look, hey, I need to have him for my scheme. And I think that's going to that's going to be what really helps. Cleveland's game, like, like outstanding, uh, made 37 of 39 blocks in this game, missed two. One of them was a pull. The other was his last play of the game where I, I'm, I'm actually very concerned about this. Um, next to last drive, uh, Jared Jones-Smith, who got cut today, blocked a, a, the Cardinals player into his legs and he went down. And he was already hobbling a little bit during the game and playing through it, which was, you know, great. Um, but then he, but then on that last play, uh, he did manage to get off the off the field on his own. Uh, but I didn't hear anything about about the injury. I did not actually hear if he practiced today. So uh, that'll be interesting. I, I my bet would be he did not, but uh, but we'll we'll see about that. So a point ninety five raw score for Cleveland in this game is is obviously outstanding at guard. He would have had an A b- before or after adjustment, but uh, just a great game. What I really liked about him as a pass blocker was that he wasn't giving ground at all. He was very much stonewalling uh, his opponent. Uh, seemed to have some nice reverse bend in his game, which he's always accused of being not a very flexible player. He did look a little slow on his pulls, but he made all but one of them, four to five. And, uh, and you know, he had some clunkiness, appeared to be walking around a little hurt uh, in his leg, but he played through and obviously played at a very high level in this game. And I'm not going to discount what he did, in the, at least in the first half, uh, when, by the way, he, I think he made every single one of his blocks. Yeah, he made all his blocks in the first half um, after coming in on that second series. So, I, I, you know, I'm excited about who Ben Cleveland is. I think he's, he probably should be the guy. Uh, we've seen only a little bit of powers, but uh, so I don't have a lot to go on, but he seems to be the guy who's getting the starter treatment. Yeah, it, it, you know, what's interesting is that Cleveland was also one of Harbaugh's guys during the draft yes. that, that we heard that he was advocating for. So, you know, a little tough love and then and then flipping the switch later is not unheard of from a coaching perspective too, right? Like, like I helped this guy kind of make it back to what I thought he was going to be. I needed to be a little tough on him, but we're going to be willing to give him that opportunity now. Yeah. The, the, uh, the probably the archetypal example of that was Harbaugh fixing McKinney during the 2012 season. Cause if you remember, you know, or played left tackle that entire regular season and, and sucked. And uh, Osemele was was out there playing right tackle, and they made a three per, a three pl- uh, position switcheroo right before that playoff game, inserting McKinney at left tackle, moving Orr to right tackle where where he was better, and then moving Osemele to left guard, which was the really big advantage for the Ravens in that postseason. Uh, and uh, you know, so they've done it before, and Harbaugh certainly you know is is a is a guy who uh, I think would personally reflect on that and give himself credit for, for how that played out. I mean, well, I, I, nice, not in a bad way. I'm just, I'm just saying, I think that's how he would reflect on it. Yeah. I just thought it was, I, I look, you've got to be a big, like, it's the same thing when like Joe Flacco, when people would ask him and he's like, look, I, I'm a lead. Like I'm whatever, whatever you want to say, like you want these, these guys have to, think what they're doing makes a difference, yeah. right? Or they're not going to, they're not going to be bold enough to make tough decisions when it comes down to do that. Um, so, you know, it's nice that the Ravens draw, um, is it, is it new? The, the, they draw the jets first and then do they get new England or do they get Miami next? Uh, I think Miami at home is week two and then new England. Okay. Week Miami's week two. Yeah. So, so, but you get two, two of those three games are probably 
you know, pretty easy to scratch into the win column with New England um, and with the Jets. And who knows what Miami is going to look like this upcoming year. And it'll be nice not to have to get them on a short week and et cetera, et cetera, um, compared to last year. But those those are are very winnable games, even if you aren't in your optimal scenario. And so it gives it does give the Ravens a little bit of time to tinker before they get to that big Buffalo. The, the Buffalo game is going to be huge mm-hmm. in week four. And it's like, Fine. Use whatever. Do whatever you need to do. If it's if it's Moses at left tackle and Falele at right tackle. If it's getting Cleveland a couple of those reps. If it's whatever whatever needs to happen during that time, and you're tinkering a little bit, then so be it. But you know, that Buffalo game is probably very likely circled on the calendar for this Ravens team, especially for all the hype that Buffalo is getting, which I don't necessarily agree with. Right. Well, they, they are they are uh, certainly getting a lot of love from the media right now, and and uh, you know we'll I guess we'll see how that plays out. They're they're a good team. They certainly got a lot of the pieces necessarily necessary to win the AFC, and there's some other contenders. You know, the Chargers and Chiefs are legitimate threats. Um, based on the recent news on the suspension, I would say the Browns are probably not. Uh, I, I question whether the Bengals are a legitimate, um, uh, as legitimate as people seem to think they are. But but if they have normal injury luck this year, we'll probably see a uh, a, a regression to to uh, uh, a regression from the Bengals, as Joel just say, not a regression to the mean, a regression. Um, so I, I, yeah, anyway, we, the AFC is not is not you know utterly stacked as it has been in years before, but there are you know four four or so good teams. Uh, maybe five, if you want to include the Bengals, that that, uh, that certainly are in position to contend. Yeah, Do you include sure. the Colts in that group? Not yet, you know. But the Colts defense—I mean, the Colts defense could be legitimate. Jonathan Taylor, like their ability to grind a game out and play play a close game, um, should be one that that's worth kind of keeping an eye on. I, I mean, the AFC is competitive is a competitive division this year. Um, it's gonna the Chiefs are gonna be really, I think, the interesting team to watch. Without Tyreek Hill, does that really? You know, Patrick Mahomes is great, but Tyreek Hill did a ton for that offense. He did. He did a lot. And I can understand why you would walk away at that salary cap number. But he did a lot for for what that offense did and gave Mahomes a lot of those one on one opportunities that he took advantage of. If those go away, especially when we saw kind of, you know, you still teams go to quarters against them and things kind of came apart last year. Now you take away Tyreek Hill. It'll be. And Travis Kelsey is a year older, I think. They're the interesting team. Them and Cincinnati are the two that I think will not be as good as people think they're going to be. Yeah, that's uh, you know, it's interesting that the three there's three really with it franchises who are saying screw this wide receiver overpayment that's that seems to be going on this wide receiver payment bubble, and it's it's the Packers, the Chiefs, and the Ravens, and those are three franchises that certifiably know what they're doing. Whether or not you you believe they've made the correct wager, they've all made the same wager, and that to me tells me, you know, that that's probably a pretty good bet that they've gone the right way on this. So they either see a a, a softening of the market coming down the line, uh, or they all misjudge together. Well, and the Ravens are the outlier there, and you know we could talk about the wide receiver group from the you know in this game because I don't know that there's a ton to talk about, but. You know, there's a difference between Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill and mm-hmm. anybody the Ravens have put on the field, potentially a wide receiver ever, right? Like mm-hmm. those two guys are are likely better than any wide receiver that has ever played for the Ravens, let alone this group of, of Ravens or Ravens that have played with Lamar. Um, and so it's it's yes, they're all going in the same direction, but they the, the Chiefs and the Packers made very different decisions than the one that the Ravens did in that regard, because the offenses in some ways were built around those guys. And yes, Rodgers and, and Mahomes are a huge part of what they do, but the way they scheme their offensive routes 
were dictated by the by knowing that you were going to draw double coverage in certain situations. The Ravens never really had that, um, you know, in in their approach, which is why Lamar is undercredited in a lot of ways. That being said, the wide receiver group in this preseason game was under underutilized and underwhelming in just about every possible way. Yes, I, I you know I would agree with that. We didn't see as much from Bridges. Bridges did get the only long pass from Huntley. Uh, it was overthrown down the left side. I didn't really have a chance at it. You know, collected one ball for eight yards. That's not that exciting, obviously. The only guy who really came out of this looking good in the wide receiver group was Webb. Uh, perfectly thrown ball. Good route, too, but perfectly thrown ball from Brown uh, in terms of of, uh, of his catch for the touchdown. Uh, he had one other catch, I think, in the game as well. So maybe he had three, in, in fact. I'd have to go back and look. But it, it, it was a good game for him. It's certainly a game where he took a step forward. Uh, he didn't have a lot of plays either. Just 15 plays he was in there, um, like likely. And he had, let me see, it was two or three catches here really briefly. Yeah, two catches for 46 in the game. Yeah, and at this point, with the signing of Demarcus Robinson and essentially the guaranteed level of his deal, you have to think that I'd be surprised if any of these wide receivers end up making the team now. Um, now, I think the Ravens are going to – the allocation of – who is going to play special teams for the Ravens when, when the season actually starts, I think is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think DeMarcus Robinson is taking the spot that a lot of people at the end of the preseason week one had slated for bridges. And I don't think that there, I don't think there's going to be space for another wide receiver on this, on the initial 53 or the 53 after we see um, Kolar go to the IR. That's, that's really the question. Cause there's a lot of guys um, who still could end up on IR. Tylen Wallace, he could be on IR to start the he year. Practice he practiced today. Oh, he practiced today. Yeah. Fantastic. He and Linderbaum both practiced today. That is great to hear. Now, Linderbaum's only going to be doing individual drills probably, right? Not a lot. Uh, you know what? I just saw the yeah. report saying that they both practiced, but they, was, a, but they were both dressed. That's okay. But it's a ramp-up period for both, and they can both make it. That that tells me that Linderbaum might make it for the start of the season. So, uh, yeah, it's a possibility. I mean, I think McCary's got to go into the possible – uh, candidates to for that right tackle job if Linderbaum makes it back for week one. So we'll see. Uh, okay. Well, yeah, that's, that's great to hear. Very interesting. Obviously it's been a heavy writing day that I haven't been really looking at this. I did, I did listen to uh, Harbaugh talk about the injuries to Stanley and Bowser and he seemed to be more backpedaling today about how long it would be to get them back in. He said, obviously, I'd like to have them out there today and there's a ramp up process for each player. And it's going to be mostly about how that player feels and, I mean, it's kind of like it's not my call. It might be longer. That's that's kind of how I'm interpreting this from a subtext standpoint. Did you, you yeah, it? I, I read it. I didn't hear. I didn't hear how he said it, which probably might have some importance. Um, but um, from what I was saying about that, yeah, I mean, I thought it was weird that Tyus Bowser, for example, was in like he was in a jersey on the sideline. You know, I don't think he had pads on, but he was in a jersey on the sideline, which struck me as odd for a guy that seems like already predestined to be on the physically unable to perform list. Like that tells me he went through some kind of warm up process and is like, there's some interest there on his part of like being ready to play sooner rather than later. And I think 
I mean, the, the question for Stanley is really just right. Like, is he like, is there a, is the injury stable enough that it's not going to be re-triggered by the time he gets out there? Right. Is he in good enough condition to play? Um, and is he comfortable enough pushing himself on whatever that injury is? Like, did he get a sufficient answer to that first question of is the injury not bad enough or whatever you want to call it? Right. Like, like stable enough to, for him to be able to perform on. And if he feels confident in that, honestly, like he, I don't think he, I don't think, I don't think you leave him a whole lot of time. You, you don't need a whole lot of time to practice, but he feels like he's in physical shape. Right. He, Harbaugh made the point and, and I, I don't, you know, a lot of this, you have to kind of read between the lines on, on what coaches say about injuries. Cause they're never incented to be completely honest about what's going on. <laughs> but, but they did talk about Bowser and, and Stanley mentioned that they'd been, they both worked very hard on the conditioning and he cited specific examples in this case that, that, you know, would be difficult to, to, to take back. But he said, you know, I, I saw Ronnie out here before the game working with the trainer and, you know, Tyus is out here and, uh, you know, jives with what you're saying about seeing him on the sideline here is that he's probably at least get, trying to get the conditioning component down before he comes back for individual drills. Uh, so so maybe the Tyus is closer uh, than what we think and that, and that Ronnie maybe maybe also uh, can be back sometime early in the season. Uh, but the fact that Harbaugh's talking about there's a ramp up process and it's how the player feels, that has me concerned. And and we we saw a move made today that was preemptive in nature to put Gus Edler, Edwards on the on the PUP list to start the season. Well, they did it because they needed the extra spot to put Demarcus Robinson and only cut five players. So I understand why they did it, um, but but they did kind of jump the gun. But I guess they knew there's no chance he's being back in time. So we still expect him to play half the season or whatever. But he's starting on the pup list. With with regard to bias uh, to uh, Tyus and and Ronnie Stanley, they, they haven't made that choice yet, and you know they're 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 holding off, and I, I guess they are still hoping. And there's two ways that it could work out. One is they may say, well, the, the the player can play week one. The other is they say, well, the player can't play week one, but he can play sometime before week four. So we don't want to we don't want to put him on IR for that either. We'll have him start the season on the roster, carry him inactive for a couple of weeks until he can go. Well, right. And, and week four being the Buffalo game. I mean, week, week four in in all reality could be a difference maker in seeding and the buy yep. when it comes down to it at the end of the year. Yeah. And, and just to just to clarify the point I think you're making is that a four week stint on IR means you miss week four. It doesn't mean you're Correct. back for week four. So, exactly. so yeah, they, they really want him back for the Buffalo game. And uh, yeah, it's, it kind of is a little unfortunate the way that the, the games were scheduled for for the Ravens in terms of, uh, of, uh, I think most teams have one competitive game, like one, one kind of circle at game in their first four there. I, I think the announcers were talking about, was it Arizona's like initial schedule was just absolutely torridly brutal. I mean, they had like, I, I can't remember who it was. I know it included the Rams. Um, uh, but you know, at the end of the day, yeah. Like, if you're circling that game and especially for Bowser, I think maybe even more than Stanley, because you have all this depth of the offensive line and maybe you think you can get through it. But if you're looking at an outside linebacker, this is a like, and I know we're talking offense here. That's a really thin team in terms of what it's going to be for the roster. I, I wouldn't, if I'm the Ravens, I'm not comfortable like letting Steve Means be a practice squad guy that you're calling oh, up. Oh right? no, he's on the roster yeah. start the season. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's. I think he's just. You just have to have four outside guys, and yeah. so um, I think Bowser. Bowser's the more interesting one to me because, and then potentially any injuries that come at outside linebacker, like that's the one position of all the positions. That's probably the one from a depth perspective that I worry the most about on this team. 
Yeah, I, I would agree completely. And in, in particularly in terms of Sam linebacker, the, the loss of Vince Beagle is a lot bigger than other people seem to realize is that you know, Beagle was a guy who had some coverage chops and would have been a guy who comes in. You know, Dalen Hayes has been very underwhelming in, in a couple of games this, this preseason. I want to see more. And, and, and mostly I want to see Hayes in coverage. So, uh, and he hasn't been so far, not, not more than a couple of times. And, and uh, uh, you know, it, it, he's, he's been beaten um, on a couple pass plays, which which did not look good. So, I, the, the standard is very high for Ravens fans that they they expect every linebacker, inside linebacker, to play like Ray Lewis. And oh my God, we didn't get him. <laughs> CJ, this CJ Mosley must suck, kind of thing. Um, you know that that's ridiculous. But 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 you know, expecting a coverage outside linebacker to be like Tyus Bowser, who's literally the best in the entire NFL. Is, is also equally unreasonable. We just got to get something in terms of coverage ability out of that position. Or maybe you adjust the rest of your scheme and you make sure your inside linebackers aren't on the field on passing downs so you have additional help from your safeties uh, playing those inside linebacker spots to to uh, to give you the coverage value you need. Right, or, and conversely, only having two down linemen that are rushing in those situations. So then your edge, your outside guys are just, they're rushing that you're like, and, and, you know, it'll be interesting to see what McDonald does kind of with this scheme, but at least from what we saw from Michigan, or at least my understanding of what he did at Michigan, it was much more targeted and based on four man rushes and letting the guys on the outside be the guys on the outside. Yeah. I, and uh, we, we've seen a little bit now in the second game, we saw a little bit more, but, but we'll, we'll, we'll get back to the defense another night here when it's your turn to do the defense. <laughs> anyway, I did want to mention um, one other offensive lineman, McKenzie, who's, who's in the run. Uh, he didn't have a great game as a run blocker, had another really fine game as a pass blocker. And I've been thinking him as only a guy who is designated effectively as the eighth offensive lineman, but basically can come in and play as your fifth defensive lineman. So you kind of get a, 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 a the ability to have a defensive lineman on your roster with seven offensive linemen. He's played well enough at offensive line to be considered, you know, for eight for certainly for the eighth offensive lineman ahead of some guys. So if you if you're not if you're in a game where you're not starting powers or you're not starting um maybe Phillips even you could put McKenzie on the active roster for that game day ahead of him because of the value of insurance it gives you um, on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I, I think that'll be an interesting position for how it shakes out for the Ravens. I think defensive line was a little more cut and dry before this Travis Jones injury. And I think that that does mm-hmm. give McKenzie a lot more consideration for the early roster spot. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a you know valid point here. Um, we had some cuts today, a couple more guys, Jalen Moore, who had started each of the first two preseason games. Very unusual, by the way, that that guy gets cut. They actually cut him before they cut the others. So like a day early. So I guess he could, you know, go out and find another job easily. But, uh, the other was, uh, Gaither who had a kind of a big second half, a couple catches, uh, dug one out and, you know, there's nothing you can project from that in terms of a, a roster spot or even a, a, uh, um, a practice squad spot, but he apparently is also no Slade Bolden got cut as well today, and he and he was cut injured. So uh, you know, do I have yeah, I, I I think Brett Hundley and um, so I thought Brett Hundley and um, and and Moore were cut to give them shots. 
to get another crack somewhere else to see if someone would pick them up and just you know as as kind of like more 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 veteran status than some of the other wide receivers they knew that they probably weren't going to carry him especially with Demarcus Robinson in tow I thought that that fifth wide receiver spot was ultimately going to go to a guy that could actually play special teams it'll be very interesting to see who is playing special teams now if the fifth one so if it's Wallace Crochet Duvernay um and Bateman then who is like not I don't see any of those guys. I guess Wallace potentially, yeah. but then he would be the inactive, like, if, or you'd have to activate all of them. I don't know. I just think it's going to be really interesting to see what the special teams iteration looks like for this Ravens team this year, um, especially with the way kind of this is all going to shake out on offense. I, I've, I've been pretty much following it on the punt team, and and uh, Beatty has said some time as a gunner in this last game. Uh, uh, sorry, inside as a personal protector, I should say. Uh, Stone has been the personal protector uh, pretty much for the bulk of punt snaps. But they've really put a ton of power on that punt uh, return, punt coverage team. Uh, it includes Jefferson and Hamilton, uh, both at the wings. Uh, so they, they need to find their correct, their, their correct, their, their set of gunners they can live with. They've tried a lot of different guys there. Polk has had snaps, and uh, some of the other wide receivers have. I couldn't tell you exactly right now, but they've had a, 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 you know, a lot of variety at those positions and very little variety at personal protector in both wing spots. I think Beatty is probably not going to be active early in the season. Um, And I thought he looked fine in the second half of this game. You know, good one cut looks strong, aggressive through the hole, good power, you know, good, like some contact break tackle ability that was in there. Um, But I think he's the guy that's the odd man out. We'll see Justice Hill as a gunner coming back. I mean, Justice Hill was a fantastic gunner when he was healthy, you know, for all of, he's not my favorite running back, but I thought, I, th- I think the versatility he brings is the third running back to be that backup guy. And then his ability on special teams is probably going to get him active over Beatty. Yeah. Justice Hill's had a good pass blocking um, preseason. It's not a lot of, lot of effort, but he's, he's done well. And uh, I, I noticed, by the way, if you look at, at PFF's grade for Justice Hill from this last game as a pass block, it's only two snaps and they clearly charged him with a quarterback hit. That's just, they shouldn't have charged him for. He made a great cut block. On number forty-five, who's the the guy who was beating um, uh, James like a drum for a lot of that game, is Gardeck. Yeah, so he, he very average NFL pass rusher. He had seven sacks two years ago. They're the only seven sacks of his career in a five-year career. So it's he's, he's not a, a, a you know a special pass rusher by any means. But Hill had to come from the opposite side and and um, uh, cut block him. He flipped him over. Gardeck went to the ground. Huntley threw the ball, and then Gardeck reached out and pulled, yanked him by the ankle for, to drop him to the ground. Well, first of all, this should have been flagged because you're not allowed to, you know, contact with force on the on the quarterback below the knee, and they clearly did in this particular case. Um, but 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 second of all, I don't know what more Hill could have done on that play from a pass blocking perspective than what I saw. So I, I've been very impressed with what he's done. I think he's he's certainly put himself in the. Um, this in the conversation to be in there on third downs as a pass catching back. Now we still need to see more on a per touch basis from Hill, more as a receiver, you know, than than, than what we've seen. Uh, Beatty, uh, good good field vision to to play that screen game, and, and I think the Ravens are going to want to do some of that as well. 
Yeah, well, and I think Mike Davis has been good in the situations that we've seen him as a pass blocker. I think he's probably the the lead guy as the third down back, as long as they're not wearing him out on kind of earlier earlier instances. So, I, I mean, it, I don't think the Ravens will carry four running backs as active when they yeah. get into the season. Um, but it's certainly going to be an interesting mix to see kind of of these guys who's active and who is inactive. Um, and, I, you know, I think it's, you know, to me, it's worth – I. I when it comes to the, like the tight end group, like not Kolar has done nothing obviously because he's been hurt. Um, but the upside of what adding Kolar in as the fourth tight end into this group and what the rate, like the Ravens could say in 13 personnel all game long, if they wanted to, yeah. once Kohler comes back, if he is, if he is what they thought, I mean, they drafted him ahead of likely. So that's how much mm-hmm. like like for the Ravens liking likely better than what everybody else in the league did up to that point. Right. They like Kolar better than that. The upside of what the, that could be like, and especially in the red zone, um, to have three really effective receiving options down the road. I mean, I, and again, you know, if we're talking about this game, what that means is that Josh Oliver, et cetera, at tight end that we were seeing getting snaps are just likely not going to make this team. But I still think that the tight end group has upside of being, I don't want to say one of the best tight end groups ever, because obviously, you know, the Gronkowski Hernandez era will they'll probably be the best tandem of tight ends maybe ever to play in an NFL season together. But this one has the capability of being immensely effective and, and, and really efficient for the way the Ravens will use this group as a, as a whole. Yeah. They're, they're, they're tremendously tied to how Lamar plays. I want to go to back to Mike Davis for a second, because I think that might be the reason he's the number one running back now is that we're not re- we haven't seen any mesh point play in the preseason. I mean, basically none. In fact, it was a mesh point play where the snap got messed up. I'm I'm 95% sure. It's, it's run out of sidecar. The snap was you know low and outside. Huntley picked it up off the ground on third and two. But all the things about down and distance, about where the running back was positioned, would tell you that was going to be a uh, a read option play. And Huntley, they they didn't block the the right defensive end, which is the the, the big giveaway is that they're obviously trying to read that guy and try to figure out. Well, then anyway, Huntley picks the ball up with ground, stuffs it into. Um, I, I think it was Davis at the time. Might might have been Hill, in fact, but it was one of those two. Might have been Beatty. But anyway, they stuffed it into the the, the hands of the uh, uh, of, of the running back there, and he and he got taken down for a two yard loss. But it was a shame that we didn't get to see that. But point being that I think what is keeping Davis number one here is that in practice he's probably the one who's looked the best in terms of the mesh point, being able to either uh, release the football as needed. Very hard thing to learn. You think it would be the easiest thing in the world to like be able to take an NFL handoff. Well, the mesh point is not that. It's 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 you got to be willing to have the ball put in your cage and then have that removed. Uh you know, and 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 you got to know what your quarterback is doing, what they want to do. You know, Mark Ingram said it best and say, "I don't look, pull the ball as late as you want, just come out hard with it." That's exactly. That's exactly what you need. And oftentimes it's going to be a veteran running back who can do that better. I think that's why the Ravens got stuck with these geriatric guys last year. Um, was it, is it the, you know, the, the assumption was that they'd be able to handle the mesh point. Yeah. I mean, it was, a, it's so, if only Mark Ingram had like his, his career was like a year longer. I, I you, you could mm-hmm. see Mark Ingram wearing down over the course of the 2019 season. He was not as effective in the last, as in the last five games as he was in the first five games, um, just from a physicality standpoint um, and having a guy that has that vision. I mean, there's a reason that JK Dobbins averaged six yards of carry in his rookie year. I think he's a guy that has that vision and the ability to kind of like see and utilize, like utilize the same leverage points of what 
what he's looking at from a run perspective as Lamar does. And that's, that's, I think that's what, you know, we're saying the same thing here and, and maybe a little bit different way that if you've got two guys that are looking at all the leverage points from a run perspective in front of them and they see them the same way, that allows them to make the same choice together and collectively be kind of seeing and doing the same things. And I mean, we saw that with Freeman last year. I mean, he made the right choices. He just, I mean, he didn't have the, he just didn't have the juice. <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to make this comment only is the mesh point cannot be a two person democracy for multiple reasons. Uh, it, it, you can't vote with two people and ever decide on anything <laughs> meaningful. Yeah. Unless, you know, if we both agree, great. But, but the problem is when you don't agree and then the football ends up on the ground or, or you know, it ends up getting yanked in the direction that, that nobody expected it. The quarterback's got to be in charge of that, of that, of that decision. And uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, I agree. It's nice if the running back can identify what Lamar is and say, he's got to run there. I got to, I got to keep this ball loose or I can tighten up maybe a little bit earlier to, to, to get going on my run on this one, because I've clearly got the, got the opening here, but I, I, it's, it's, it can't, it can't be a two man democracy. That's all I would say. (laughs) Anyway. uh, I think we talked about most of the positions here, tight end. Saw a few good things out of Oliver in this game. I thought, you know, decent, decent job of blocking. It's, it's just too bad that he's not going to have a chance to make this roster, you know, and, and I don't think Kolar, Kolar is probably destined to be a lock for the IR. There, there, there shouldn't be a reason why the Ravens should feel any need to rush him back in that process. I guess if he's healthy enough and coming along and they want to include him fine, but I think they're going to want that roster spot elsewhere. Um, so the same applies to Josh Oliver. It's just, he, he's, he had his chance last year to make enough of an impact to be on the roster and, and, it just didn't happen and he can play great, but it's not, it's just not going to be there. Right. I, I agree. And I think with Kolar, you know, given the sports hernia thing, I think what I'm gathering from both what you read online about an eight to 12 week injury, this kind of thing. I know he, he, he didn't want to have the surgery and then he did have it done. I think he's going to be out half the season. I think, you know, that's, you see him the second half of the season. He, he might come back after 12 weeks, but the Ravens will use one of their veteran, handshake deals to whisk him onto IR. Uh, and they've got about five of them. I think they've got about five guys, Mike Davis and Jefferson and um, um, some others. Urban. <laughs> yeah, Urban. Yeah, My, Stephen Means could be one of it them. Means. He makes the roster, you know, initially. So they, they've got a few guys that they that they can uh, get a handshake deal going with that, uh, uh, that should give them the flexibility they need. But they honestly they may be at a point where if they have seven guys or six guys that they really want to get to IR, they're gonna to have to make some tough choices. There may be a season ending IR in the group that they have to just say, Yeah, Kolar might be back for the last couple of games of the year. They might be able to help us in the playoffs if we were get, able to get there. But then, you know, considering ramp up and all that goes with that, is it really even worth it? So there might be guys that they just have to say, yeah, that's the end for. Well, hopefully it's just Kolar that <laughs> yeah. they have to make that decision on. And there's nobody, yes. there are no other injury developments and everything stays yeah. as is Bowser and Stanley come back to practice this week. And I will be a happy camper. I'm glad that we're not hearing anything about Marcus Peters. That's a plus in my book where he, he will be kind of a welcome guy to come back. So, you know, the, the, the interplay of these of of these positions to how it's going to impact special teams, I think, is the important one, though. And especially when you look at the offense, it almost seems like only potentially only Justice Hill is going to have a role 
on other the set of guys that will be carried forward other than Duvernay, right? Like as a returner, but like as like the special teams grinders, Hill is going to be the only guy from that group um, that's going to be a regular special teamer potentially. Um, and maybe Tylen Wallace, but he might be inactive on the front. I, I mean, one of these wide receivers is going to be at, inactive on the front end. Right now, it seems like he might be that guy just because of the numbers game. Um, it's interesting that you would only see one offensive guy kind of having some kind of role in the special teams iteration for this Ravens group that, you know, you've usually seen a, a wide receiver like Wallace last year on special teams. You've seen a couple guys be downscale special teamers. Is that going to end up cascading and having a negative effect on that unit um, as we get into the year? You you have likely on special teams or not? Are you you taking him out of there? I, I'm not not for the moment, but um, you know what? Maybe. Yeah. Has he played? I don't think I've noticed him play any special teams in the preseason, but that might be wrong. Uh, I can actually look that up if you like, but uh, uh, it might be a little bit more difficult. That might take me more time than I really want to spend on here, honestly. Yeah. Let, that's let's. Fine. Um, I did want to speak real briefly about Jordan Stout because I've been including the punter and the mm-hmm. offensive things. But uh, great night of punting. I think we we finally see some of the value. I I. I was personally upset, and and there may not be. I, I'd like to understand statistically what the additional gain is, but I was really upset that I think it was Kevon Kevon Seymour down that ball in the three when it looked like <laughs> it was going to go to about the one half yard line if they wanted it to. What what is he thinking? And Stone came up and talked to him afterwards, so you know those words were, "Nice job, buddy. Don't do that again." <laughs> well, and C- I mean Seymour has been. He's the guy that that just ran the wrong defense. Like he's the guy who who let that the big pass from Malik Willis happened in the Titans game too, right? Was that Seymour? Yes, or was that a he, he got beat. Yeah, he, he just, like, he does not seem mentally strong enough to be a regular NFL player right now. Like, he, he there's either too much going on for him, he's not able to get caught up on that, whatever, you know, whatever whatever that is or whatever that looks like, um, he just doesn't seem to have it. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I Stout otherwise, you know, benefited on the other side from that fair catch at the three-yard line, which was absurd. And, and then the, uh, the out-of-bounds kick was something special. Uh, I have not generally liked the fact that he's been kicking the ball out of bounds. I mean, great that he, you know, when you're gonna when you're gonna boot a monster like he did, 58 yards, you're gonna outkick your coverage. So that that kick's gonna be returned. So I know he wanted to get it towards one side of the field to to limit the return area, um, and then it just happened that it, it bounced about a yard out of bounds when he when he uh, uh, you know when it hit down there. So it was something really special. But uh, I, I'm very positive so far on what he's done. There has been no impact yet on the kicking game, which is nice to see. Yeah, I, I mean, and you, I mean, you might be able to make an argument that there's going to be some improvement, you know, at the at the punter level. You know, Cook has been fantastic and, mm-hmm. and regular, but the upside of what what Stout might be able to bring, especially you know when 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 the Ravens are pinned or you know, go three and out his ability to completely flip that field back over is just, you know, going to be tremendous. And then it's been nice to see, you know, snaps have been fine or holds have been fine for when he has been doing it extra, extra kickoff coverage as well. So like, if you're trying to look at reducing Justin Tucker's wear and tear or needing another guy that has that, or if Tucker gets hurt, having a guy that can actually kick field goals in those situations, just all really nice insurance pluses for this team. Yeah, I'm. I you know I'm positive on all that. You, I don't know if you noticed that Stout kicked an extra point and Tucker held mm-hmm. for him in the game. Oh, I didn't notice that Tucker was the yes, holder. <laughs> Tucker was the holder. So the the other thing that was going on um, was uh, Stout has this three by two approach on kickoffs that is just weird as hell. I mean, you know, Tucker and and frankly every other kicker I've ever seen is a is a run up from a five plus yards, you five six seven yards somewhere in there. And, you know, they run up, they get all prancy about it. Then they, they, they you know, 
get the most leg strength they can possibly get. Well, apparently, Stout doesn't need as much uh, you know, distance to build up that leg strength, and he may have more control doing it without running up to the ball. And and I, I, it's just it's very interesting to watch. Uh, they have done they so far they've been kicking the ball a couple yards into the end zone, but it's gonna be really interesting to see if they pooch, and it also be really interesting I think to see if Tucker returns to kickoff duties to start the season, or if they've now handed that over to Stout at this point. Yeah, it it, it is an interesting you know, iteration. It is it was bizarre when I I looked up to see the kickoff and he was mm-hmm. standing so close. I was like, what? Is, <laughs> I was like, what's going on here? He's not going to be able to get enough leverage. But you know, I, it's also interesting. I don't know if you read the ESPN article about Justin Tucker and kind of his iteration and kind of when the Ravens pursuit of him um, and getting him signed on board, but they, you know, basically talked about how like he was a mess in terms of his plant foot and getting through the kick with any kind of like meaningful consistency. And they were able to clean that part of his game up. And that's what took him from being a good kicker in college to being what he is now. He always had the power for that. So I wonder if it's a coaching thing um, for Stout as well, where they're trying to teach him the same the same kind of thing, which is that you need to get consistency in your plant foot and approach and all of that to be a good kicker. And and so that's why he's doing it. Or maybe he's just his own exotic, you know, going to do it his way. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it can't be a power thing. It has to be a control thing. I, I, I wondered if they'd be giving up hang time on those kicks uh, because, you know, they're, they're, they seems to have a very good accuracy in terms of getting it to the goal line on there right around the goal line, you know, two, two, three in, two, three out kind of thing. That's always a plus, of course, if you can force the other team to return it from a yard or two deep. Uh, Ravens did not do a good job in this game of covering kicks on special teams, on kickoffs. So I, I certainly hope they get that cleaned up. And I, I know that we're on offense, but I do think it was interesting that Stone, Jefferson, and Hamilton were all on the kick coverage team um, collectively together. Yep. Yeah, well, they, I, I think that's going to be part of the plan. Those guys will all be active on a week-to-week basis, and I think they all should should be there. And Jefferson, I, I think there's a pretty good chance the Ravens activate all five safeties on a weekly basis. There may be weeks where they sit a safety and and don't have them. But especially, it's, a, it's, it's effectively a concession to special teams, and it also gives you an extra player if you happen to lose one during the game, as you want at any position, if you want to play four safety alignments. Yeah. That's true. The, the the active day rosters are going to be more like I think the 53 feels pretty firm in terms of what we should expect to see. I think we might see one or two interesting things like um, like Mac or uh, Crawford making it over urban or something like that. But I think that I think for the most part, that set who is active, I think, is going to be fascinating. this year. Right. So you probably heard Travis Jones out three to five weeks, right? With all injury. that, yeah, yeah. So that's a that's what a shame. the heck was he doing? So, what the heck was he doing in the game at that point? I mean, somebody's got to be out there is is one thing, and yeah, you could you could have it just be all of the all of Crawford and Mack and and uh, who was the third guy? Crawford, Mack, and Nichols playing at that point. But yeah, I I agree. I I didn't like it, but For, uh, well, and it's just it's just like it seems like the Ravens really cleaned up and learned their lesson about this, right? Like mm-hmm. they're not going to play certain guys in the preseason. Lamar's just not going to get on the field. I'm totally okay with that. And then you've got your, like you've got your interior pass rush impact third down defensive tackle playing well into the third quarter of a game. That eh, just didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I, I, I'll buy it. I mean, they, they, yeah, I, I, I just be making excuses for them and, and they'd be ones that <laughs> I'd be making a devil's advocate excuse and not really agreeing. Offensive MVPs in this game. Did you have a three to one? Did you do one? I, you know what? I didn't do one, but I, I mean, I think Tyler Huntley would be, would be my one. 
Okay. So I, I'll go three to one. I did have Huntley as two. I, I had Cleveland as number three. I, I could easily have had him higher in this game. I'm actually a little concerned about how he ended and whatnot in, in terms of the injury, but he was just outstanding. Um, you know, Stonewall as a pass blocker, physical finishing pancaker as a run blocker. He just, he, he really did it all. And if, if he hasn't earned the trust back by now, I'm a little concerned about how the kennel is being run. You know, he, he really, he really needs to have be pretty damn close at this point to earning the, the the trust to be able to play left guard because he's the best left guard and not because he failed the conditioning test. So we'll see. Anyway, I hopefully. Yeah. I, and I space there. Obviously, Huntley is not uh, the, the number one guy. Yeah. It's <laughs> pretty obvious. Uh, and, and Isaiah likely. So, yeah, you know, I thought, but I thought Huntley's pocket awareness in this game was significantly improved um, to what it looked like last week. Um, and, and that was a welcome sight for me. Yeah, and last week and last season too, and and you know he's even with all the accuracy, uh, he's had some problems. He did have a sack for sack for a loss of three early in this game, where I thought he kind of uh, didn't do the optimal thing in terms of uh, uh, of movement in the pocket or throwing away the football. Uh, Isaiah likely my number one as well, obviously, and, and we talked about him at such length. He's he's uh, he's obviously the guy in this one. There there were some other players who who played well. I don't want to don't want to uh, you know put him down any way. But, uh, you know, I think Fall Lilly might be my number four guy if I had to pick one. So it just a, it was a it was a you know, we, do we see any receiver really stand out other than likely? No. Did, yeah, I mean, you really. Webb? Yeah. You, yeah. Maybe. Right. Maybe Raleigh Webb. But, but yeah, they, you didn't see anything from you didn't see anything from the running backs either. I mean, it was a pretty blah. It was a pretty blah game overall from how the Ravens, I think, approached it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like the outcome obviously was a pretty decisive win minus kind of a little bit of nervousness around that at the end, but it was just a pretty generic game and the Ravens seemed content to just being and staying generic. And I think we're going to see you, you, if we, if I thought this game was generic, I think we're going to see even more generic. Yes. Next week. <laughs> it's going to be halfback dive and comeback routes. And I think that's all they're going to do next week. <laughs> they, they are going to try and get this game over with before it even starts. I mean, that's, that's really the way they approach this. Sometimes you, you get one of these coach talking to coach before the final preseason game and you get a flavor for that. Oh, I think I'm going to run the ball. I think I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do a lot of things to try and, well, especially when you saw the, I mean, it was the commander's player that overplayed into Dobbins last year that, that cost us that ACL injury. And he was just going absolutely wild there. Right. And I get that these guys are playing for their careers and all of that or playing for like to make the roster. And, and you know, it's the likelihood of like, maybe them never playing in the NFL again. But but at the same time, you know, you just can't you can't trade that you can't be having a guy playing at that reckless nature against guys that are probably only doing it as a tune-up and expect there not to be potentially catastrophic results. Right. All right. My friend, always great talking football with you. It's just so enjoyable. We spent an hour and a half on this and absolutely loving every minute of it. Uh, tell folks where they can find your work. Yeah, we're at Raven Sit Room on, on Twitter. Uh, my co-host Gabe Ferguson, he's at Gabe Fergie. Um, check us out there. We're we're trying to we try and break down the games, make sure that we're talking about some of the big impact plays, get some little highlight clips of the broadcast game out the night of the game so you guys can see that. Outstanding stuff. And and I highly recommend their show. Give make sure you give that a listen. It's on filmstudybaltimore.com. Other folks out there, if you'd like to do a film study short, hit me up. Uh, with that, DMs are always open on Twitter. Also asking folks, going to do this one more time this week. If you got to this point in a show, we're an hour and 30 in, um, you're obviously a great fan of the show. I would love for you to take two to three minutes, 
go out and write a review. Uh, I haven't asked for this ever before. I, I know Josh did at one point, but uh, I, I'd love for you guys to to, to uh, take a moment and do that. We we have some older staler reviews. They're all very good, but but it'd be nice to have some more recent ones, and uh, and that'd be great. Thanks so much for listening, folks, and especially uh, thanks to you, Jordan, for coming on again and being the uh, the great uh, guest. Thanks for having me, Ken. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. How to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.